Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. What a great, what a great way to spend our morning thinking about the Lord and, and worshiping His name. I tell you, I do not think that there is a better place for us to be than this. You know, it's interesting. Uh, a, a lot of uh, people uh, have different ideas of, of what, what a church should do when we gather together. Um, and, and one of the most important things that we can do uh, because as, as we look through um, um, the pages of scriptures, in fact, actually, uh, uh, let me sidestep for just a second. You know, uh, we just recently got elders, and we are so thankful for that work, actually. And, and uh, the, the elders are busy doing a number of different things, and one of the things that we're doing, actually, is we are taking 40 days where all we are doing is is uh, spending time in prayer and in God's word, because that's exactly kind of what we see, is that, that, that in Acts 6, uh, deacons are made to serve so that it doesn't stop uh, others from, from spending time in, in prayer and, and in God's word. And so what we thought we would do as elders is, is specifically spend time for the first 40 days that we're elders praying and, and, and seeking for the Lord to, to do a, a restorative work in our lives and, and hopefully in, in the life of our church together. And um, uh, one of the things that keeps coming up day after day after day in this 40-day prayer guide is, is how uh, God's people are transformed by God's word. That, that it's God's word that, that, that really brings people through this, this gospel transformation. And so, uh, so what we're doing when we gather and we open up God's word and we sing about the truth of God and, and we study God's word, we are doing that very work that's going on in, 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 in our lives. And so I'm so thankful that we get to open up the Bible, that we get to think about it, examine it, and apply it to our lives. Is my microphone on. Look back or think back to 1999. Okay, so not only was Y2K in our minds. But for Denver Broncos fans, something far worse than that was going on. It was when John Elway, our beloved quarterback, had retired. Elway was so good, okay, John Elway was so good, it's why the Cleveland Browns are my second favorite football team, okay? So if you don't know, back in January 11th in 1987, uh, it was the AFC Championship, and now if you just Google search the drive, this is what happens, okay? The Broncos were behind, and we were on like our one-yard line, and out of nowhere, the comeback king himself, John Elway, leads us down the field to a triumphant victory. I'm sorry, Nate, I didn't know you were going to be wearing your brown shirt today, man. Uh, uh, you know, the Denver Broncos uh, came back from, uh, from behind to defeat a number of teams, but it was the performance of this game at the AFC Championship against the Browns that taught him to the list of 
heroes of elevating him to this superstar status. And then he retired. And every quarterback since, the question has always been, is this the next John Elway? Right, we thought it was Tim Tebow, and it wasn't. I got a jersey, but it, that didn't last long. And then even, even Peyton Manning, in the greatness of Peyton Manning, he is just the next John Elway. And then he retired. And now we have Russell Wilson, but they'll all be compared to the original comeback king, John Elway. Now everyone asks, is this guy going to be the next John Elway? Because Elway's status is legendary. It, trans it transcends generations, okay? You know, every time there is someone new, we try to figure him out. Every new coach, every new teacher, every new neighbor, every new best friend, we wonder, will they be as good as the last one? That's what we're wondering right now. Walter and Min moved, and we're like, okay, who are these next neighbors going to be? And can they make dumplings? Chinese dumplings, because if they can't, then, then you know. Um, will they be better? Who, who is this new person, and what should I expect from him or her? You see, in our passage this morning, there, there's this new person on the scene in John's Gospel, and it's a different John named John the Baptist. And people are asking, who is he? And what will he do? And why does that matter to us this morning? That's what we're going to explore and look at together. And so if you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to open up to John's Gospel. We're in the first chapter. And if you don't have a Bible with you, you can grab it on your phone. Uh, but also inside our bulletins, we have not only our call to worship and our scripture reading and sermon notes, but inside our bulletin, we have our sermon passage. So everything that we're going to be looking at, you can look at also and say, okay, here's, here's where he's coming from. It's going to be helping you immensely for this. Uh, and, and the Gospel of John is a, is a new sermon series that we started life in him this fall. And what is going on is, is that John, the, the author, is pointing us to Jesus' identity as the Messiah. And he calls us to believe in him and to follow him. Him. That's what John's gospel is about, is that we would believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and that by believing we would have life in his name. And we are working on a memory verse. As a church, we do this every single sermon series that will help us in our pursuit of studying the Bible as we want to follow Jesus. And it's John 3, verses 14 and 15. It should be on the screens if you don't have it memorized. But let's say it out loud together. Let's read John 14 and 15 together. And it says this, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Let me pray for our time in God's word. Heavenly Father, we ask that this would not be a history lesson, a fun fact time, uh, but Lord, that actually this would be transformative by your Spirit, that your Spirit would do a work in us that only you can do, that we would not be entertained for a little bit and leave these doors unchanged, unaffected by your word, 
but instead that we would be transformed, that we would be following faithfully after Jesus and witnessing of his greatness. So Lord, would you, would you do that good work in us through John chapter 1 this morning, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let me give you a roadmap of what's going on here. Uh, I don't go anywhere without my GPS, so I assume everyone wants a roadmap. Here is the big idea that if you get nothing else from the sermon, this is what we want you to walk away with this morning. Here's what I think John's point is in John 1, uh, 19 through 34. It's this. Encounter, or behold, encounter Jesus, the Son of God, and make known his work that takes away the sin of the world. Encounter Jesus, the Son of God, and make known his work that takes away the sin of the world. So we're going to look at this in three parts this morning. We're going to look at John's identity. We're going to look at John's baptism. And then we're going to look at John's testimony about what's going on. Okay, so we're, let me read for us, beginning in verse 19. 19 through 24, let's read about John's identity. Here's here's what is recorded. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed, and he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. Well, in our passage this morning, John is new on the scene, and he's doing some things that are a bit strange, and people are wondering who he is exactly. John's gospel doesn't record what John the Baptist was like, and so remember, it might be confusing, the author of John's gospel that we're looking at is not the same person as John the Baptist that is referring to here, okay? So those are two different Johns. It was a common name then, just like it is here today, okay? So, so John's gospel doesn't record what John the Baptist was like, but, but others tell us that he wore clothing that was made out of camel hair, that he ate locusts dipped in honey, Yum, right? So he, and, and he was also doing this. He was also baptizing people for repentance. Now these priests and the Levites were sent from this specific group. John calls them the Jews, not in a negative way, uh, to, to John to figure out who he is. And that's not too unusual, okay? Uh, they were kind of like the protectors of the temple and the things that were taught. And so they were trying to figure out, is this guy legit? Or do we need to do something about it? Uh, Because historically, there were people who claimed to be the Messiah, and they weren't. And so they need to be sure. So so if you think of Acts chapter 5, where when they're talking about the apostles, here's what's going on. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. 
For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. In fact, Jesus in Matthew 24 warns uh, the disciples of false people coming up and claiming to be the Christ. Even Josephus, who's this Jewish historian around the time of Jesus' resurrection, records that people came claiming to be the Christ, but they weren't. And so, in our passage, these priests and the Pharisees came asking John whether he claimed to be the Christ or one of these other great figures who's coming in the last days that was predicted in the Old Testament. That's what we see in verse 19. And so when John, uh, when, when they asked John if he was Elijah the prophet, he replied, no. Now that should be a little bit puzzling to anyone's ears that, that might have read the Gospel of John before, or other Gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, or Luke, uh, because actually John explicitly is identified as the Elijah who is to come. Uh, in fact, uh, those who uh, appeared to Zechariah, the, the angel who appeared to Zechariah, John the Baptist's father told his father that his son, John the Baptist, would go in the spirit and the power of Elijah, Luke 1 tells us. So why would John say he wasn't acting like Elijah? Well, I think that when they're asking John if he's the prophet, John said no, probably because of, uh, of something from Deuteronomy 18, where, where Moses is speaking about a prophet that will be raised up and he's speaking actually of Jesus. In fact, in Acts chapter 7, early Christians referred to Jesus as the prophet also. And so it seems as though John thought that, that they were asking if he was the prophet, the Messiah, which is why he said no. And they're trying to figure him out, but his answer each time is no. Uh, and, and you know when you have a boss and he says, you need to come up with, these, with some information. <laughs> they couldn't go back empty-handed, they said in verse 22. So what was John's identity? Who was he? In fact, even in Luke chapter 3, Luke tells us that the people questioned in their hearts about John, about whether he was the Christ. And so John described himself from Isaiah 40, our very call to worship this morning. Isaiah 40, verse 3, announcing deliverance for the exiles in Babylon, calling for the preparation for exiles on their way back home. And so what John was doing was he was calling them to come home to the Messiah. John was preparing people for the Messiah. Now, John the Baptist had no problem with saying that he was not the Christ because he knew where he belonged, with Christ. In fact, John's identity actually became clearer 
the more that he knew Jesus. John could have said that, you know, he was a man, that he was the cousin of the Messiah, or maybe even childhood friends or fellow family members. But instead, John gives his identity in his connection with Jesus the Messiah as the one who is preparing the way for him. You know, who seems to be the question that plagues every single generation? Right? We live in a different world than we used to. We now live in a world where questioning who we are is foundational to being open and enlightened. Questioning our biological makeup is somehow more intelligent than knowing what a man or a woman is. But the reality is, as we search for meaning in our own lives, as we search for who we are and what we are, there is something more foundational, and that is whose we are. People are going to want to know who you are. And, and they're going to probably, and you're going to probably ask of your life at some point, who am I? Is this what I want to be doing? And I think the best way for us to begin to understand who we are is to do it by knowing whose we are, how we are connected to Jesus, right? Because the most identifying mark about you, Christian, the most identifying part about you is not your biological identity, whether you're a man or a woman. The most identifying part about you, Christian, is not whether you are married or single. It is not your sexual identity. It's not your job. It isn't related to your favorite sports team or hobby. It is being blood-bought and being part of the family of God. And so it is living out our identity in Christ, primarily that brings about gospel impact in the spheres of our lives. And so it isn't what would a teacher do in this scenario. It becomes what does a Christian do in this scenario. It isn't what would a woman do in this scenario. It's what does a Christian do in this circumstance. So brothers and sisters, find your identity connected to Christ. Describe your identity in relation to God, just like John, who was only preparing the way for the Messiah. So encounter Jesus, the Son of God, and make known his work that takes away the sin of the world. Let's look at this next part, uh, John's baptism in verses 25 through 28. Here's what is written. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Well, we are friendship Baptist Church. Uh, there is no getting around our name. Okay, it's on the big sign as you come up the road. It's not plastered on the building itself, but, but it's even on our bulletin, Friendship Baptist Church. And our church name says something about us that I hope is helpful. 
Certainly there's the friendship part, uh, but most people are surprised to know that it's named after Friendship Drive, which is named after John Glenn's ship, the Friendship 7. So we could say we are a church named after a spaceship. That would actually be true. But also in our name is the word Baptist, which says something about what we think about baptism. We are pro-baptism, just in case you're wondering. But so are the Presbyterians and the Methodists. And they don't have Baptists in their name and the non-denominational churches. We're all pro-baptism. So, so the Baptist word really refers to how and the when someone gets baptized more than anything else. Uh, Jews had baptism in their day also. But it was a little bit different. It was self-administered by Gentiles or, or non-Jews who became Jewish. But in our passage, that's not what's going on. In our passage, John himself is administering the baptism, and those he baptized were already Jews. So you could understand why the Pharisees were questioning John. Uh, not only was it a very different method, but also because if he did not claim to be the Christ, what business did he have baptizing people? That, that's what we see in verse 25. John's baptism might have been a little weird to most people, but we should understand that John's baptism wasn't a bad thing. In verse 33, later on in our passage, John describes it as, He who sent me to baptize with water. Which means that John is not baptizing in his own authority. He's not baptizing because he thought it would be cool. But he's doing it because God commanded him to. He's doing it as one who has been sent to baptize with water. So John is an instrument in God's hand for introducing Jesus, the one who's actually greater than John. So I thought it might be helpful for us this morning to even just think for a moment, what is baptism that we do today and what does it mean? Because the Jews had a way of doing baptism. John the Baptist is doing a baptism that, that's even different than what we do here. And, and today, people mean very many different things about baptism. So what does Friendship Baptist Church, because that's where we are, what does Friendship Baptist Church mean when we do baptisms? And what do we not mean when we do them? When we baptize someone, we are saying this. Though we all need to continue to grow in Christ, this particular person has turned away from their sin and placed their faith in Jesus' death on the cross and in his resurrection from the dead as a work of God to save him or her. They're, they're committing to following Jesus as his disciple, and they want friendship to aid them in that discipleship. And then we as a church are affirming that not only is this individual able to articulate the gospel that they have put their hope in, but that we also see gospel fruit in their lives. John's baptism is not the same as Christian baptism today. So when Friendship Baptist Church pulls out that baptistry over there, in case you didn't know, that's where, where we baptize people is in that box over there, okay? So when Friendship Baptist Church baptizes, it doesn't save anyone. 
It's not something that converts someone to Christianity. It's an outward picture of an inward reality. In fact, every example of water baptism in the New Testament is after people have placed their faith in Jesus. And so that's what we're trying to model our pattern after. In fact, John's baptism is a little bit different because it was to prepare the way for Jesus. It's not a reflection of, of being saved by him yet. In fact, there's actually a, a section in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, where, where um, th there's some, some weird things happening that, that John the Baptist's followers have been baptized in John's baptism, but they hadn't received the Holy Spirit. And so they actually needed to get re-baptized, if that's a word that doesn't freak you out. They had to get re-baptized uh, so that they could, they're like, we've never even heard of the Holy Spirit. And in fact, part of what we do when we baptize now as, as, as New Testament Christians is that we do so in the name of the Trinity, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, as we're addressed to do in Matthew's gospel. It was to show, uh, in John's baptism, it was, to show repentance and to await the Messiah. So I think a fair question to ask is, brothers and sisters, or even just friends, have you obeyed Jesus' command for his disciples to be baptized, displaying outwardly what God has done inwardly in our lives through Jesus that we receive by faith? And baptism is not an issue of salvation. It doesn't wash away original sin but it is obedience to Jesus and trusting in his finished work. So if you're a Christian, but you have not been baptized, would you come talk to me today? We'd love to help you obey Jesus' call to publicly follow him. Friends, I'm not sure if you've noticed this or not, but, but John is not really speaking much about himself. He's not saying how many followers he has. He, he's not speaking about, you know, his creative way to, to get people's attention. No, no, he is only witnessing about someone else who's greater. In fact, a witness of Christ makes much about Christ, not ourselves. John repeatedly spoke about the greatness of Christ, not the greatness of John baptizing others. John didn't make a big deal that his ministry ushered in the Lamb of God. No, John's ministry was witnessing about the greatness of the Lamb of God. And friends, I realize it's a difficult balance to serve in ministry, right? We don't just want people to show up and just be a warm body inside a classroom. We, we want them to care about the ministry. We want people to invest in a particular ministry, but not to move one's identity into the ministry. Right? People often talk about ownership of a ministry. We really want you to take ownership of this. But often I see that people can only serve in that ministry, and, and then if they can't, then, then they feel so out of place that they don't know what to do right? Uh, one person's identity being in where we serve instead of being in the one we serve becomes really dangerous. Because without realizing it, we easily build these mini kingdoms within the ministries that we serve in, and, and slowly, without even realizing it, when, when ministry changes, then there become these violent reactions 
And instead of discipling and training up others to serve where we currently serve, we try to hold on to position and power. See, a witness of Christ makes much about Christ, not ourselves. In fact, a genuine encounter with Christ humbles us and it exalts him in our behavior. Because each ministry that we serve in is only meant to highlight the greatness of Jesus in other people's lives. So the Women's Discipleship Hour class is not to be how great of a class can Leah Rowling lead. It's for how great is the Savior she serves. How can other people in that class be built up to love Jesus and trust him more? We could go on in every single example of, of ministry and it'd be that very certain reality. Every ministry that we serve in is only meant to highlight the greatness of Jesus in other people's lives. And so we need to make certain, brothers and sisters, that our serving isn't about us, but about Christ. John did not reply to the priests about why he was baptizing, but instead he pointed them to the Christ, the one they did not recognize, the one who was far superior to John himself. In fact, John felt privileged to be sided with Christ. I think it's a fair question to ask ourselves this morning. Is Jesus lucky to have you on his side or are you lucky to be on his side? It's a privilege to be connected to Jesus. John described himself as one who was not worthy to untie Jesus' sandals. Friends, if you, if you know much about biblical times, that was a job in those times that was reserved only for servants. And in fact, if, uh, for washing people's feet was really only what Gentile servants did, okay? It was like the lowly of the lowliest positions. And John saw that it was an honor to be connected to Jesus. And he was willing to do whatever was needed for the kingdom of God. He ate locusts dipping honey, okay? Like it doesn't get worse than that. Our hearts, when we think about the kingdom of God, should not be on how much I make the kingdom of God better. Oh, I just got so much that the church needs from me. Or how much they need me. But it should be in the honor that it is to even be a servant in God's kingdom. I think we are on a dangerous path. If when we say, boy, I am indispensable and these people really need what I've got. Because the truth is, and I don't mean to be mean in any way, but the only indispensable person in our entire body is the great shepherd of the sheep. No one else. If, I, if, if someday I'm not the pastor here, and I, I don't have any plans, uh, but then Lord willing, there's going to be another one. You know what I thought was so actually helpful when Austin resigned from being the youth pastor? Is that he had already been raising up and training Ryan to take his place. Boy, that's an encouragement. Friends, we could go in every single ministry and we need to realize that that ministry started before we got here. 
And if we're doing discipleship well, it's going to continue even after we're gone. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. It's a privilege to be sided with Jesus. It's, it's not how lucky Jesus is that I'm a great speaker. It's not how lucky Jesus is that I have all these special skill sets that no one else has. No. No, it's an honor for us to serve in Christ's kingdom. You know, it's funny. Jesus, at the Last Supper, he did untie his disciples' sandals. He did wash their feet. Jesus, the king, did that for the disciples who would soon betray him and abandon him. How could we want to do anything but that very same servant work in God's name today? Isn't it great? Uh, isn't how great our, our contribution we make? It's how great can we make Jesus in our lives? The dignity of Jesus is so far superior to our own. It's an honor to be called servants in the kingdom of God. That's why Paul says in Philippians 2, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you not look only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It's why there's that promise in Hebrews 6, for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have for shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. God is, is not unjust to, to not see the, the humble, behind-the-scenes way that you serve and love others. That's not escaping his eyes. It, it, you're not going to be passed over in some sort of uh, honorable way because you do something that, that seems less honorable than others. And what important thing that that tells us, it tells us that, there, that, that the body of Christ is that every part is needed. There is not a single part in our body that is not helpful in serving. There's not someone who's too new of a Christian to be able to serve others to the glory of God. There's, there's not someone who has sinned too much for God to be able to redeem and, and then magnify his name in our lives. What a good hope that that is. You guys, John's baptism only pointed to Jesus. John's baptism was making straight the paths for the Lord, preparing people for the Messiah. A faithful follower of Christ makes much about Christ, not ourselves. In all, everyone has a role in taking the gospel forward, even John. So we need to encounter Jesus, the Son of God, and make known his work that takes away the sin of the world. Let's look at this last part, John's testimony, verses 29 through 34. Uh, and here's what is written. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but as he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Well, we've seen John's identity. We've seen John's purpose. Let's look at John's testimony, hearing about John's encounter with Christ. Verse 29 says, the next day, John sees Jesus. There might be some confusion on some people's part as to who John is. And and we're going to see a lot of confusion in the weeks ahead about who Jesus is. But, But John's testimony in our passage couldn't be more clear. One of the first things that is said about Jesus is that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I don't know about you guys, but that's just not a normal greeting or description about people. Okay, like, it's not like there's 15 others that would be described like that. It's specific, and it's referring both to Isaiah's reference uh, in, of, of this uh, uh, Messiah, this suffering Messiah that was to come in Isaiah 53, and probably even more this Passover lamb in Exodus that was slaughtered before the angel of the Lord came in judgment over the land of Egypt. Only if one's doorposts were covered in the lamb's blood would God's judgment of death pass over them. The word for lamb here that John uses is one of a sacrificial lamb not Mary's little lamb, okay? And so for John to speak of Jesus referring to him as the sacrificial lamb who takes away the sin of the world, boy, it's worth considering that imagery. In the Passover in Egypt, God's people were enslaved and Pharaoh did not recognize the one true and living God, Yahweh. And so in a final act of judgment against Egypt, God promised that all the land, that in all the land, the firstborn would die. But if each house killed a lamb and painted the doorpost with its blood, the angel of the Lord would see it and pass over that house. Judgment would be withheld because of the lamb's blood. God would refrain his judgment. So no lamb's blood meant no safety. The lamb's blood on the doorposts meant safety and ultimately deliverance. And so John is referring to Jesus like that lamb's blood covering those who trusted God's message by obeying. So by John referring back to even the exodus of the Israelites coming out of slavery, the lamb of God is actually this part of this bigger story of redemption. The the very thing that Peter read about in, in Paul's sermon the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world was not a Hail Mary pass. Jesus didn't show up because God's other plans failed, but because this was God's plan from the beginning. In Exodus, 
The Lamb's blood protected God's people. In Isaiah, it's the suffering Messiah who's led like a, like a sheep to the slaughter to be crushed for our sin. Jesus is not God's plan B or plan C, but God's plan A, the pinnacle of what God is doing in redemption. And so Jesus being revealed to Israel as this long-awaited Messiah, the hope of the nation, the lamb who would be slaughtered for sin. Friends, that's exactly what Jesus came to do. It was the mission of Jesus to die, though he did nothing wrong. It was the plan of God for Jesus to die for sin even before the foundation of the world. Friends, that is actually the work of God, that God has designed us to know him and to love him and to be in fellowship and relationship with him. And we have decided that we didn't want that. We didn't want God's rules. We didn't want God's law. We didn't want God. And so we rejected him and everything that came with him. The Bible calls that sin, that, that rebellion of, of wanting to decide what we want, when we want, and when we want it. And so the punishment, the result of rebellion against the king of the universe is death and separation, death and judgment. And then God, in his love, instead of just wiping us out, said, instead, I'm going to send my son, my only son, down to earth to live a perfect life and to be the substitute for sin on the cross, that, the, that, that God would crush him for our iniquities, that Jesus would die and then on the third day be raised from the dead, raised bodily, raised gloriously, raised victoriously, that the, death, that the grave could not hold him, that death has not won, that sin has been defeated, and that all who turn from our rebellion against God and turn to Jesus in faith, that Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead has been on our behalf so that we can be forgiven and free and can be adopted into the family of God. Friends, that is the glorious hope of why we gather together this morning as a church body. And it was the mission of God from the very beginning. It was the plan of God for Jesus to gloriously defeat death and sin, for him to reign on high, and for us to be hidden in him for forever. Maybe you're here this morning, and you're not sure what you think about God. Maybe you're here this morning, and you know you're not a Christian. You know, I, I wonder, what would a person who would come to save the world look like? What would identify him? Would he come like this? Would he, would he come being announced that he was the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world? Friends, Jesus came to save. He didn't came to make everyone else serve him. But in fact, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so if you find yourself today as someone who feels like you have no life, you have no hope for tomorrow, and you don't even know what life should look like. At the end of the service, we, we have uh, an elder that will be over here who'd love to talk to you. I'd love to talk to you after the service. We'd love to pray for you. 
We'd love to talk to you more about what it looks like to find life in Jesus today. You can have your sin removed. You can come to Jesus and behold him and encounter him and trust him and turn to him and to learn from him. You know, the other part of John's testimony is that Jesus ranks above him because he was before John, which is no surprise to us as we've been reading John's gospel because he is the, the, the word since the beginning. Jesus was there at the beginning. Jesus was not made, but is in fact has made everything through him and by him and for him. And so when John saw Jesus coming forward, he didn't say to himself, he said to others, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So brothers and sisters, don't leave here today thinking, oh, that's a nice historical biography about John the Baptist. No, the call is to behold God. To behold our King. As we were singing earlier, nothing can compare. Come and let us adore Him. The one who has made the earth, the one who has had nails on his hands. So what does it mean to encounter or to behold Jesus? It means our lives are to be changed, our affections are to be changed, our priorities are to be changed. We offer our lives as a sacrifice to God because it is a privilege to serve in the kingdom of God. In his testimony, John the Baptist was baptizing with water. But for Jesus' disciples, they were to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the Spirit baptizer. Jesus is the one who plunges all who believe in him into the Spirit. And so if you're wondering... Uh, Evidence of having the Holy Spirit is actually something far greater than just even speaking in tongues, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. The, the, one of the evidences of the Spirit is actually love. Fruit and evidence of the Holy Spirit is not even so much tongues as it is, as it is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And what enables those things is our faith in Jesus. There's not a blood-bought believer who's void of God's Spirit indwelling them. In fact, Jesus, according to John's testimony, is that he's not only the Lamb of God to be killed, he is even the Son of God. So brothers and sisters, encounter, behold Jesus the Son of God, the Lamb of God, and make known his work that takes away the sin of the world. You know, John the Baptist was new on the scene, but he was only there to point the way to Jesus. John understood the greatness of Jesus. Friends, that is our job too. Not to point to ourselves, but to the greatness of Jesus who we could rightly say, who is so far superior to us that we do not even deserve to untie Jesus' sandals. And yet he calls us his friends. He calls us 
his beloved family. Friends, that's the God we serve. That's who we follow. Come and encounter him and make his way known to the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you have indeed sent Jesus into the world so that we could have life in him, so that we would be transformed more into his likeness, that we could be forgiven and adopted into your family. So God, help us not to intellectually assent to ideas about Jesus. Help us to behold him. Help us to encounter him. Help us to follow him and to make his work known that takes away the sin of the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, one of the things we want to do uh, is, is because...